And now for a new series we're calling Flashpoints. This is where we provide our quick takes on a variety of hot topics and events that are going on all over the world. So, Stephen, you want to kick off this flashpoint? All right. So our first flashpoint is where do you see Israel in uh, Israel uh, Palestinian conflict in 10 years? And I don't think there's any change. Hey, I don't think there's any change either. Uh, I think maybe um, if you see changes within if you see changes within leadership, well, no, I don't. I don't think so. Unless, good God, I honestly I can't force. I can't predict this for you guys. I'm stumped. What I want to see happening versus what I think will happen. I mean, I don't. I can't even predict it. Yeah, I mean, in in my view, uh, there might be some unforeseen event that changes things. But if we look at the trends today, I don't see any change either. Uh, well, no changes. Well, my take would be that probably we'll see more and more marginalization of Palestinians uh, in this conflict. But if we talk about trends in general, then I would say there is no change because if you even if you marginalize Palestinians, you won't solve the. If uh, Palestinians who are in the diaspora become fully absorbed into other Arab societies you know, perhaps maybe given passports and being allowed to be part of middle-class prosperity, you might see de-escalation of radicalism, but I doubt that, you know, they still have a lot of statelessness amongst Palestinians outside of places like Jordan. Next one I had in the South China Sea. And in the South China Sea, there hasn't been much change. One of the biggest changes that happened recently was China actually economically, or I shouldn't say economically, China forced uh, Vietnam to withdraw their support for a joint uh, drilling venture in their ex- uh, in Vietnam's exclusive economic zone by threat of military force recently, and so it's just been seen as another another peg in how far the United States has not been involved in the South China Sea uh, conflict, even though. The United States has stepped up their freedom of uh, navigation patrols to two times or once every two months instead of once every quarter. It just hasn't translated to anything. And what's your prediction for that? Oh, <laughs> I have no prediction for that. That China's it, it depends on who the next administration is, but China has fairly, fairly strongly grown their influence in the region. And I think that, as we said earlier, going to a... Uh, multipolar system and a uh, sphere of influence and that's going to be under the chinese sphere of influence yeah i agree completely it depends entirely upon who the next administration is centered around but for the most part um china has already pretty much won in that area and will certainly that will certainly be the case if the next administration you know provides just as much support against chinese encroachment as the current one does I mean, I read that they that they landed a an actual bomber on one of the airports that they created on one of the Paracel Islands, but that's pretty, or the Spratleys, I can't remember which, but yeah, that's. I mean, it's basically one more in a series of shows of force, not really 
noteworthy in itself, I guess. All right, then uh, what was the next one? Yemen? Yeah, Yemen. Well, Stephen, what's your prediction? Oh, God, I don't know anything. I, I haven't paid enough attention to Yemen to have an informed opinion on it. Yeah, I don't know a whole lot about the specifics, but it sounds to me like it's probably going to remain somewhat of a failed state status that perhaps they'll get. I guess in 10 years, there will probably be some type of pseudo resolution to the problem. Most likely something with a, a government propped up by Saudi Arabia that barely has any legitimacy. Uh, actually, uh, one trend uh, which I have experienced with Yemen recently by researching politics is there has been a growing uh, friction between UAE and Saudi Arabia, which is not really much uh, reported in the media, actually. And the problem is that the UAE is uh, supporting southern secessionists in the southern part of Yemen. But Saudis are uh, more like pro-aligned with the Qadi government. And the problem is that the Qadi government is not really recognizing these secessionists as a uh, as leg- legitimate power in Yemen, although they are helping uh, to fight them against the Houthis. And there has recently been clashes between them in the southern part of Yemen. And actually, UAE and Saudi Arabia have been kind of at odds regarding this issue, although although they have kind of got together, but uh, still there can't be increased risk in this, ca- in this case. All right, Stephen, what other flashpoints did you want to talk about? Oh, Ukraine. <laughs> um, All right, um, so we have Ukraine. Tensions have been worsening, of course. There has been no progress. Uh, Based on just the news that I've been following, uh, Russia has been actually uh, what so-called, you know, what European countries are saying right now is in a hybrid war, which is just spreading fake news to change public attitudes of certain European countries right now. Like there was a incident in Poland, I think, two weeks ago where... um, they were just a woman or a group of women, Russian women, were just spreading um, just fake news to people. And Poland was, of course, dissatisfied with that. Um, anger was in Ukraine because local channels are already showing maps of Ukraine without Crimea. And that just sparked a lot of anger in the community with local people and everything. So, I mean, um, the situation is not changing at all. I'm not sure if it will change in the next five years or so uh, i'm very pessimistic about the russian ukraine conflict um they've already built a bridge uh from russia to crimea so putin has uh, i think two weeks ago he has officially driven on this bridge showing that the territory of is course his. He did. <laughs> yeah yeah and actually the bridge i think will consolidate the the Russian hold on Crimea more than just symbolically because of course Crimea's big problem up until now is its complete isolation from any networks be be it economic or even uh, uh, energetic networks because obviously uh, all its energy used to come from Ukraine but Ukraine has closed off all the valves uh, leading to leading to Crimea so the construction of that the completion of that bridge, which is both a road and railway bridge, I believe, 
uh, will allow Russia to to get more economic development going in Crimea and therefore strengthen its position? Well, basically, I can comment, as I know, as Latvian regarding Ukraine. Uh, well, basically, as long as Russia keeps the strategy of having protected conflicts uh, into its immediate neighborhoods as a strategy to uh, hinder integration into NATO EU for uh, the countries which are Eastern partners of the EU, then this conflict will continue because uh, Russian involvement is only based on that, just to stop integration into Euro-Atlantic structures. Uh, Syria. And in Syria, there was a big announcement yesterday. There was the capture of, I believe, five uh, militants in... Let me find exactly where it was again. I forgot. I think it was Diesel Zor. Dier Ez Zor, I'm sorry. Uh, But they have not positively identified everyone captured yet. Um, At least one of them was, quote, a big shark, which just shows that the Islamic State is further collapsing, further collapsing, which is a good thing. Uh, Hopefully no one takes off the pressure on them. But that being said, I haven't heard too much about any developments in between the fight between like the Islamic front and uh, the government personally. Yeah, I think for Syria, I mean, 10 year out prediction, obviously Assad remains in power and probably consolidates the majority of these remaining areas. He may never gain control of the entire state, but he'll have control of everything that essentially matters. I would say that actually uh, we might see more friction regarding uh, Turkish involvement in, in, in Syria, I think. Because currently Assad is kind of rejecting Turkish military presence there in northern part of Syria. And uh, Russians are kind of worried that Turkish alliance with them actually hinders their influence with the Syrian Kurds. So I think uh, there will be some more issues until uh, the issue of YPG is solved. I think it's you also reminded me that there was, uh, I believe President Assad actually just visited Russia. And if, uh, he did, if the yeah. reports I saw were correct, he got dressed down by Putin for not ending this conflict. I believe Putin really does want to see this conflict ended, and Assad is very much pushing it and extending it, and it's going to be interesting to see how that... I I don't think anyone here... uh, I'm not going to speak for everyone. I don't see Putin as ever abandoning Assad, but it's very interesting to see that relationship play out. He was actually quite optimistic when talking to him, or at least that's how Russian news depicted it. He was very friendly, you know, telling him he's doing a great job. Clearly, when he there is no good job in the region, I don't know. It's a very strange relationship. Uh, I've, you know, I have three others. Let's just let's just do Venezuela though, because I mean, we don't touch on. You guys, we have to shed light on Venezuela. I have not heard anything about this. I don't understand why I'm not hearing more about it. 
it's just so tragic because this has been going on for years and like i don't know why the media has been just so poor about talking about the situation you know we have a country that is split into two we have Chavistas, who are um, the people that are following Hugo Chavez, the former late president, and now it's Nicolas Maduro. And then we have the opposition um, who are against him. And actually, the elections, the re-elections are this Sunday, so tomorrow. Um, and it's just so sad because the the economy, people have no food, people have uh, no basic stuff there. It's really poor. And there's no humanitarian help at whatsoever. You know, I just don't understand how the international community has not been. I, I think it's because the regime is refusing to accept aid. It is, yeah. And that's the main problem is that um, a lot of those supporters who are for, you know, uh, Maduro and Hugo Chavez, they reject Western influence, Western power, and they reject that kind of help. So the country is really just in this isolation you know um they can't influence it from the inside through domestic politics and they can't get help from the outside from the international actors there's apparently sort of an informal phenomenon that happens which is venezuela is close to colombia and uh when times are tough in one country you have refugees fleeing to the other and so there's a sort of a physical exchange of people when times are tough in one place, it's a bit better in others. So there's, there is, to a degree, some, a lot of Venezuelans who would flee to Colombia, and then they would remit what income they earned there back to Venezuela to really combat the, you know, profound amounts of starvation in their families, for example, or other forms of just, gosh, well, I mean, the best insight I could give you is that, um, my, uh, my in-laws have retired to, Colombia, uh, mostly because it's got a affordable, amazing healthcare system compared to the USA. Apparently, this is Colombia. May I remind you? Uh, on top of the fact that where they're living, Medellin has a lower crime rate than most major American cities these days, despite the fact that it was the heart of drug war. So that just gives you a context for how Colombia is doing relatively okay. Well, apparently, a lot of Venezuelans who, um, you know, are stuck in Venezuela. You know, the price of food is so high, you know, um, no, you could spend... Uh, there is no food. There is no food, but There's like... even if there is food, you can't afford it. You know, you could spend yeah. a month's salary on, you know, a day's worth of food. You just can't. Can't afford it. And there's no aid. So they do have to do things like flee to Venezuela. But even then, if you're from Venezuela, if you're remitting money to Venezuela because the cost of food has gone up so high... You know, you could earn first world wages, and that's not enough to pay for food because it's so scarce. Oh, it's terrible. The minimum wage is less than $2 a month, and that's at the black market rate. But you could be earning American minimum wage, and that can't afford food. That's how bad it is. That's how scarce it is. It's, it's really shocking. And yet, you know, ugh, you see scenes, you, you know, the New York Times did an excellent photo expose of it and they would show scenes oh i saw that it's heartbreaking the fact is they still have socialized medicine in venezuela so there's hospitals that could take you in if you're suffering from illness related to malnutrition and they could treat you but they can't feed you because there's no food 